Welcome to Karura's Weekly Podcast. Our hope is that your spiritual life will be fruitful as you listen in. We start in 3, 2, 1. We are still on the series um, on our year forecast 2023. Who remembers what our year forecast is for this year? Hint, hint. It starts with our worshipping. Our worshipping? Okay, let's say it together. I'm sure it's on the screen. Okay, let's, no, let, let's start together. A worshipping, united. Yes, and we've been looking at the different aspects in this uh, theme. So just in case you're new or you have missed a part of this series, please go to our website or to our YouTube channel and you'll be able to access all the sermons so that you're able to catch up, um, you know, with everything that we have been doing here. Now, to guide us today, so today we're looking at stepping up to partner with God in love. And to guide us in stepping up to understand how to step up, I will make a few propositions around the person. Who is the person who is being called to step up? Um, The place. Where is this place where we are supposed to step up or where we need to step up? What is the part? What is our part in stepping up? And finally, what is the point of stepping up. So that is our sermon outline for the day. The person, um, the, the part, I mean the place, the part, and the point in stepping up. Now someone, a few, some people, a few, a few months ago came forward. When we, just, when we commissioned lay persons, came forward and said, what's happening to Karua Community Chapel? How come we have so many pastors? We are growing so many pastors. And I was like, uh, what do you think? If, if we had 300 pastors within the church, what kind of a church would it be? And I told someone, actually, that's, that would be a thing that I would be excited about, where we have so many pastors, because that would mean you're a congregation of mature people, mature believers, who have the opportunities to change the world in the circles where we are. It means we become a light in this dark world. And this would be such a mature church if all the members were pastors. Our ministry philosophy says every member a minister, every member necessary. And in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you're his holy priest. You are ministers. Each of us who believe in the Lord, through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifice that please God. In Revelation 1, he says, he has made us a kingdom of priests for God, his father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. In Isaiah 61, and you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. People who are growing in Jesus Christ, they step up, they realize the people that they are being called to be a holy priesthood. People called to serve the master. You are necessary. You're not here by mistake. Maybe you are just passing by and you saw a tent and you are like, let me go check them out. Or you are just flipping channels and then you've landed onto our page and you're like, okay, let me just see what happens here. No, you're not here by mistake. It's not by mistake you are necessary here. And this is who we are. This is who you are. In Ephesians 2, he says, 
For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things or the good works he planned for us long ago. If you made, or if you were to make a short trip to my relative's place down in Wamunyu, in, in Machakos, or want to take a long trip and you go to a place called Tabaka, South Mogirango in Kisi, you will find artists, people who are making carvings from wood and from stone, and you will notice the work that they put into it. You will see the processes that they take to come up with a fine piece of art at the end of the day. And of course, you will eventually buy these gifts and give to your friends, to your family as souvenirs, things that they will keep and always remember you. Now, the word that is used here in Ephesians chapter 2 for masterpiece or workmanship is poema, from which we get the word poetry, the, the English word poetry. And what the Bible is telling us that we are God's poetry, we are God's creative work, specially and exclusively engineered. God created us in his image and then recreates us through salvation in Jesus Christ to do good works, the works that he had started doing. When God was creating you, he had an eternal purpose in mind and he knew just where you'd fit right in. You might think to yourself that you're not very impressive, but look into the mirror and consider what you see. And after you see what you're looking at, consider what God had to work with. You are a masterpiece, specially created by God. And of course, there's no shortage of people who will always condemn you and say, what is happening to you Christians? You're not all that great. I see all kinds of inconsistencies, hypocrisy, and problems. Now, whenever you hear people say that, uh, uh, do not defend yourself. Simply say, you're right. You're right. But you wouldn't believe how bad we used to be before Jesus started working on us. And he's still working on us. We are a work in progress. God is still working on us, in us, and through us. If you knew where we used to be, you would appreciate what you're seeing. You'd appreciate the kind of work that is going in. We are God's work, God's creative work, God's poetry. We don't do good works in order to be saved. We are saved, which is in totality a gift of God. We are not saved because we do good or because of our good works. Rather, we do good works because we have been saved. Quite some art and poetry right there. Now, a couple of years, um, we, were, we, were, we were driving from Naivasha late in the night, around 10 p.m., and we got to the Kijabe area and passed beyond Kijabe, and then we got to the viewpoint. Now, there was a truck ahead of us which seemed to be in a bit of a rush. Um, so I slowed a bit, and it was drizzling, so the road was a bit slippery. But this lorry was such a rush. So he decided to, to overtake, or I can't even remember whether it was overtake, but he changed lanes, um, so moved from its right lane, uh, went to the other lane that um, the approaching cars would be using. And unfortunately, or fortunately, I don't know, it must be a fortunate, there was a car coming. And when the driver of the truck saw a car, I think either he panicked, I can't remember. So he, he swerved to go back to his lane. 
Now this was happening right in front of us. He swerved. And now the car that was coming um, also tried to go to the extreme end, uh, use the climbing lane. But because it was slippery, what happened is the truck ended up sliding and knocking the other car off the road, almost, you know, threw it almost near the cliff. And it was a terrible accident. Terrible. And, and I just came to a whole stop the car. I was like, now what do we do? Um, so I, I called, I tried, I knew someone at Kijabe Hospital. So I called Kijabe Hospital, requested, can you please send an ambulance? They said, okay, they will do that. I called uh, the police emergency lines and surprise, surprise, someone responded, someone answered. And they actually responded quite fast. They got there before even the ambulance from Kijape Hospital got there. Um, so I'm there. I'm just, what do I do? How do I help these people? Um, I step out of the car. I try to stop people, um, you know, that they come so that we help. Because the people in the car were screaming for help, crying for help. But people were just not stopping. When I tried to wave them to slow down, to stop, they were just speeding and zooming off. Um, then I got a brilliant idea. How about I block the road? So I took my car and placed it right where you, you couldn't pass. You had to stop. Um, so everybody now, every car had to stop. And now people exited and we tried to help uh, with the policemen and, you know, with the ambulance guys. Now later, um, no, not even later, as, as we were leaving, of course, after, you know, um, quite some time. I think we stayed there for about an hour. Um, you know, we were discussing with my wife on our way home, like, what, what kind of a country are we in? What is happening? What was happening? People do not want to help. But we said, okay, we can't blame them. It's at night. They are probably scared. They don't know what's, what's going to happen. It could be a setup. But then I asked myself, but okay, what, what actually is the right thing to do? Anyway, later, followed up with the hospital. And we were certain that a few people couldn't make it, didn't make it. But we are happy that some of them actually, most of them, because it was, it was a passenger van, um, most of them made it. Now, I'm talking about the person. I'm talking also about the place. In the book of Luke chapter 10, it gives us a similar story. Very fast, let me read. Luke chapter 10, 25 to 37. On one occasion, an expert of the law um, in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. He, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. 
So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put, then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now, for 35 marks, please turn to your neighbor and ask them who they are in this story. Just ask them. And this is 35 marks, right? Who are they in the story? Are they the robbers? Are they the man who was beaten by the robbers? Are they the priest? Are they the Levite? Are they the good Samaritan? Who are they? Who are they? What did your neighbor tell? So now you're responding on behalf of your neighbor. Anyone said they are the robbers? <laughs> None of you. Okay, okay. Interesting. Who, who said uh, they are the man who was beaten by the robbers? Okay, none of you. Okay, who said they are the priests? The priest, I can see some hands now. Okay, who said they are the Levite? You're not responding for yourself. You're responding for your neighbor. So, Siogope, it's your neighbor, and they do not even know you. <laughs> All right? Uh, the Levites? I can see a few Levites. Okay. The Good Samaritan? Uh, did, you, did you talk to a Good Samaritan? Oh, nice, nice. Okay. I can see good Samaritans. Okay. Ah, that's good. That's good. I know many times we have looked at this story and only seen ourselves as either the priest or the Levite or the good Samaritan. I want to propose to you today that all of us, all of us are the beaten man. Are the beaten man. He is a lawyer. A guy who understands the law. A guy who knows what he's supposed to do according, according to the law. He has studied the law of Moses. He has studied the Old Testament. And he goes to Jesus asking Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And go, Jesus um, takes this opportune time to give this man a story. Because he knows what he's asking. He speaks of a man who was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. And on his way, he's attacked by robbers. They beat him and strip him naked and they leave him half dead. Now, the Bible tells us something about the robbers in John 10, 10. It says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. John 10, 10 comes in the middle of a discourse in which Jesus is contrasting the good shepherd himself and the false shepherds. Mark Moore puts it, uh, talking about the chronological life of Christ in that book. He says, Jesus applies himself to two, two metaphors, shepherd and dog. He applies to the Jewish leaders four metaphors, thief, robber, stranger, and hireling. Okay. 
priests, um, preachers, pastors, popes, people, they will never do it for you. What they will do is they will come, see you, and, say, hey, and be very Kenyan. Kai, do, you know, and just abandon and leave you there. We are all flawed. We, we are all sinners. We are all beaten. I hear people say, my pastor, my pastor, my pastor. Yes, it's good to listen to what your pastor says. I'm, I'm happy you're listening to what I'm saying. But, no, you cannot trust your pastor more than you trust Jesus. You must fix your eyes on Jesus. Look up to Christ, not to the people who are around you. Change that, change that saying, my pastor, my pastor, to my Jesus says, God says, the Bible says, don't put your trust in men. Trust in the good shepherd. Look up to Jesus. Admire and want to be more like Jesus. Your goals in life have to be Jesus. Step up to Jesus and not even to your pastor. Hence, our vision here at Karua Community Chapel, becoming Christ-like disciples engaging the world. We do not want your goal to be the senior pastor or the bishop of the church. Your goal has to be Jesus Christ and nothing else and no one else. So the priests and the Levite, they passed by. They offered no help to the beaten man. But then they came the Samaritan. And I like how the New Living Translation says, it says, a despised Samaritan came along. He comes and he has compassion on this beaten person. Compassion literally means your pain is in my heart. I can feel it with you. Listen, you Bible students, all of you are Bible students. In John 8, 48 to 50 says, the Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon possessed? I am not demon possessed, say Jesus, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the church. Notice Jesus' response to the accusation. He's been accused of two things. One, that he is a Samaritan, and secondly, that he is demon-possessed. But then he responds very firmly that he is not demon-possessed. But his silence leaves the Jews um, with uh, I cannot confirm or deny your claims that I am a Samaritan. They, of course, were accusing him that he wasn't keeping with the Jewish observances, which made him no less than a Samaritan, someone the Jews despised. But you know how they despised Jesus? They accused him and even crucified him. Shameful death, death on the cross. So the good Samaritan goes to the beaten man and bandages his wounds. Jesus found us. He left his father's throne in heaven, came down to us. We were dead in our we were beaten dead in our sin. God sought after us. God came after us. In Ezekiel 34, 16, he says, I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and strong I will destroy. 
I will shepherd the flock with justice. Luke 19.10, Jesus speaking says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. God came down to us. This good Samaritan goes to the beaten man to help him. And then he bound up his wounds. In Isaiah 61 says, The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. The good Samaritan nursed him. The beaten man nursed him with oil and wine. Oil is used to soothe wine because of its alcohol content was used to disinfect, to clean up the germs. And in the Bible, when you're reading and you see oil or wine, just look around there. That could be a picture of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit does the same thing, comes to soothe us. He comes to disinfect us. Disinfect us from the bitterness, the anger, the unforgiveness to work in our lives. And then the good Samaritan puts him, this beaten man, up on his donkey. Now, you may remember a story from Zechariah about a donkey. Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fall of a donkey. Jesus entered the city on a donkey, meek and lowly. And we spoke about this in my last someone. So the good Samaritan took him to the inn or to the hotel, to that nice place. And that's where you and I come in. You and I come in, into this place. We are part of the crowd that is in there, in the inn, the inn place. It's where Jesus brings people who are beaten up. It's a church. The inn is a church. Previously, I have done a sermon, I've preached a sermon titled God's Hospital. You can find it on our YouTube channel. And it talks about the church as God's hospital, a place where the beaten, the brokenhearted, the poor, find solace, they find soothing, they find disinfection. And then the man pays two denarii, which was equivalent to two days' wage, and then he promises he will come back um, in case he incurred, uh, you know, more cost. Um, so, very quick one. Jesus said, you know, I will, I will come back. I will come back for you. I will come back for you. He will come back uh, for us. Oh, wait a minute. Again, Jesus and Mary, when they were, uh, you know, looking for a place where Jesus could be born in, uh, where they, they couldn't find a, a place, a space in the inns of that day. I hope Jesus finds room today in our inn. What kind of a church do you want Karura to be? What will you do to make it that kind of a church? Okay. Um, in your, in your uh, CLJ's meeting this week, just discuss this question. What kind of a church do we want to have at Karura Community Chapel? And then discuss what will you do to make it that kind of a place? 
What kind of a home, office, school, friendship, marriage, or business do you want to be? Is it a place that proclaims the good news, binds up the wounded, releases the captives, brings the light in the darkness? Is it a place of lowliness and meekness? Our routine here or there should be a retreat for anyone who comes in. And what's your part? What's your, what's your part in that place? Ephesians 4, 11 to 13 says, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Here Paul discusses what is famously known as the fivefold ministry. The idea is that each member of the church body has a role to play in furthering the kingdom of God. When everyone is working together in their gifts and in their calling, we are able to accomplish more than what one person can do or could do. God's heart is for all people to be saved and come to the whole measure, understand Christ wholly, understand the truth in whole. So the five gifts that he mentions here or discusses here is the apostolic ministry, which is a governing ministry that refers to those who sent out as um, spiritual statements to establish ministries. These are, there are three kinds of apostles. One, the sent one, Jesus Christ, the one who came. And then Jesus in turn appointed the 12 apostles. And then thirdly, the Holy Spirit appointed other apostles. You've heard of people like Andronicus, Junia, uh, Junia, Timothy and Titus, Barnabas and Paul, among others. Now, it's the third type of apostles who are still being appointed um, even today. Their work, the apostolic ministry, their work is pioneering, sending, extending, and entrepreneurial. They start things uh, most of the time. Then the second one is the prophets. The prophetic ministry is a guiding ministry and refers to those who speak the word of the Lord in the spirit. Their work includes questioning systems of power, seeking justice, critiquing mission drift, and protecting the marginalized. Then the evangelists, the evangelistic ministry is a gathering ministry and refers to those who bring people to the kingdom, reaching out, including the seeker, you know, reaching out to new people and bringing them into the kingdom. And then the pastors, the pastoral ministry is a guiding ministry and refers to those whose work is to protect the flock from the wolves who seek to destroy them. You know, the shepherds, their work is to nurture, to care, offer community, create community, and grow a healthy community um, in that. And then finally, he talks of the teaching ministry, the teachers, and the teaching ministry is a grounding ministry and refers to those who ground um, God's people in the truths of his word. They are more concerned on sound doctrine clear teaching, effective processes and systems, and strong values. 
Now, maybe for you to remember easily, you could just use your hand. Um, you know, the, the apostles, the apostles, they are pioneers. So they go out and, and establish things. So they need to be, to be strong. And then the prophets, the prophets offer guidance. So you could be, you know, pointing and, and, and guiding people uh, to the right. And then the third finger um, uh, is, is uh, for, for who? The apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists. They extend, they go out to bring, they are the gathering ministry, go out and bring people in. And then the, the, this, the, the fourth finger, all right? Um, it's for the pastors. Pastors, their, their work is to nurture, you know, take care, um, you know, build, com um, build community and, and build a healthy community. That, And then the, the small finger is for? For them? For the teachers. The teachers. You know, the, if you consider a teacher... From when you were in nursery school, and now they have trained you. Now you hold a PhD, you know, and the work that the teachers have grounded you, sound doctrine, um, etc., etc. So the church exists to exalt God, to edify his people, and to evangelize the unsaved. Many people that think that the church only exists for evangelism, to go out and bring more people. But no, the church um, has all those gifts that they ought uh, to, to happen within that community. Now, if you come from a church background, the tendency is to think that Christian service happens primarily in church or at church. In reality, however, the most effective ministry happens when you are on the job site, at school, when you're doing business, when you're with your friends, when you're hanging out in a bogiako, when you're working out in the gym, or when you're in your good vibes and in shallow concrete. When you're having fun and enjoying yourselves, that is where church happens. That is where we practice Christian service. We see in the early church in Acts, they hear the apostles teaching, they break bread together, and then they go out to turn the world upside down. Our goal is to be like Christ. And I'm not sure how much time Jesus spent in the temple, but I'm sure he spent more time out there among and with the people impacting the world. When you are being invited to step up, it's an invitation to realize the calling that God has on us, on you, that he has an assignment for you on this earth and not necessarily in this church building or in any other church building. It is in that building where every morning you walk into and you spend 8 to 12 hours there that is where God is calling you and sending you. This assignment, um, it could be that gang of your friends whom you are always meeting and having good times. This assignment is at home, could be at home, where you grew up and where you've been all your life. It could also be, you know, in your next business meeting or on your next coffee date that you're having this week. That could be where God is calling you for Christian service. That assignment could be on the streets as you walk to go home. Are we, are we attentive to notice the gift that God has given us, the calling that God has on our lives? Now, the church is a superorganism. It cannot be controlled. Um, it cannot be killed. It isn't a business to be managed. 
but are forced to be released. The churches are forced to just release it and things will happen in the world. The church is the people of God saved by the power of God for the purposes of God. It is all the people of God on an everyday mission. Everyday mission to feel everything in every way with the fullness of Jesus. And Paul shares, when we read the book of Ephesians, Paul shares this vision of a Jesus-empowered and a Jesus-shaped church that looks like Jesus, walks like Jesus, and talks like Jesus. When you consider a large growing company or your organization, you will see many critical roles such as visionary leadership, research and development, engineering and facilities, quality control, training, Branding and marketing, you know, etc., etc. The characteristics of the gifts that Christ gave to the church are to bring transformation in all these lines of vocation. We have apostles, pastors, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to be expressed in every culture and every sphere of the society. So what happens when all these gifts are activated? When all these gifts are unleashed what happens? Here's a point. Ephesians 4, 14 to 16. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to, to trick us with lies. So clever, they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Full of love. So here is a point. This is what happens. Uh, let me try to be a teacher today. So there are those five gifts. Um, okay, so the... Five gifts, so let's do this. Uh, okay, those are four, then we can do another one here. So let's say they were what? The first one was the apostles. Okay, um, all right. Um, then evangelists, right? Oh, prophets, okay. Ah, good. Prophets, then evangelists. And then, pastor, pastors. And then, teachers. Um, forgive my handwriting. Usually I have a better handwriting. Um, so let's, let's say this is a church. So let's say a church is a very good in the apostolic ministry. Okay? Uh, and very high on the prophetic ministry. And maybe evangelistic, they do not do a lot of evangelism, but let's say they have really invested in their pastoral ministry. And teachers, okay, not bad, maybe like that. Okay, so this is the kind of appearance that the church would have, okay? So it, it would, maybe I need to use a different color. So it would be something like this. Okay, now let's say 
it's a will. And you're the one who ought to run, you know, the will. You're the one doing the will. How will this move? Will it move? Yeah? You will probably need to load it on a pickup for it to move, right? But, you know, from, from Ephesians, what we see is we're being called as a church to the fullness of Christ. And the fullness is where we are practicing all these, um, you know, gifts. So, so we, we grow. We are growing together into maturity uh, in all these gifts. And what happens is we are experiencing the fullness of God and spreading it within that community. So will it be easier for you to roll this wheel? You will be. And that is what we are invited to do as we step up. That we will bring this transformation in each and every sphere of the community. As we close, I will invite the worship team as we close. I pray that we will see, because this is the same that happens um, with gears. You know, when you engage, engage a gear, your car, there are gears that are moving, you know, and I had a video. Yeah. Um, they're just moving. And when this is happening, it's just exponential. Uh, there's just a release of power, and we are able to influence all these things uh, in our culture. So when we activate our calling as apostles, as prophets, as evangelists, as pastors, or as teachers, then we are able to achieve this. We are able to have a better community. We are able to have a better society. May the Lord help us to know and understand the person that we are, that we are his creation, his masterpiece created for good works, and that God brings us into this place, into his place, his family, his own body, the church, and we are the innkeepers. And our work while we are in there is binding the wounded, setting the captives free, bringing light in the darkness, that our, and our, our part is to govern, to guide, to gather, to guard, and to ground, releasing the force that we are all to the, all the spheres of the culture and society. And we will see the point and the point is become mature, becoming mature, having a healthy body where each part is doing its special work and growing in full of love. May the Lord help us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your words. And you're calling us to step up. You're calling us to activate what you've put in us. Help us. Help us to understand the call that you have for each of us. And to be able to do it. We pray all this in Jesus' name. God bless you. Has this message challenged you? We hope that it has been a blessing in your life. If you would like to give your life to Christ, or talk to, or pray with someone, kindly reach us on WhatsApp 0721 990 880. God bless you.